0: get serious now like you know i'm not a kid anymore i'm no longer you know young young catholic you know recently kind of come you know come to the fullness of the faith it's time to get it's serious business now and life is short you know if you're 80 40 seems young but like it's not that it's not that young like if you're not going to get serious when you're 40 um good luck
1: leadership podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are Powered for Impact. Welcome back to another episode of the Powered for Impact podcast. This is the final conversation of 2021, and we'll come full circle. We started this whole journey with Dan Baloch, who went from a devout atheist to a joy-filled Christian. Today, my guest is Michael Dopp, who went from a faithful but lukewarm Catholic to a man on a mission to mobilize other Catholics to reach people like Dan, or even people like himself. If your parish doesn't take the time this year to figure out the answer to the call to make new disciples, eventually it's going to cease to exist. Now survival is not the purest motive to reach those who don't know how much they're loved by God, but at least it's a start. If you're a clergy saying to yourself, I've tried, but I just can't wake up the people in the pews. Is it possible that you need help? For the love of God, get the help. If not from us, then from someone with a track record of helping priests turn around apathetic parish cultures. I must warn you, though, if you and I start working together, that transformation starts with you and your leadership. But this is my promise to you. You'll be transformed in your leadership skills and your leadership character. You'll become more fruitful than you've ever been in your priesthood you'll experience less fear, more joy, and more hope. That is my promise to you. If you're a layperson saying to yourself, yeah, finally, someone laying down the truth to my pastor, well, you're not off the hook. Your priest can't transform your parish without your commitment of time, talent, and treasure, and your ability and humility to work together. Go over to our website at ronhuntley.com and let's make this coming year the year we began to turn everything around. Be inspired by my conversation with Michael Dopp.
2: Lift off, and the clock has started.
1: For those of you that know me, you know that evangelization excites me to no end. To mobilize people to evangelize is one of the reasons God has placed me on this earth, but not me alone. Today's guest is Michael Dopp, the founder of Mission of the Redeemer Ministries, equipping Catholics for the new evangelization. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you very
0: much, Ron. It's, a, it's an honor and a joy to be with you today.
1: I'd love it if you'd share with people, maybe, you know, before we talk about your passion for evangelization, maybe you'd share with me, and this is going to be information for me, and I can't wait to hear it, but tell me your story. At what point did your faith become something
0: that you valued above all else? Yeah, great. Well, you know, it's really interesting, Ron, because I've been actually thinking about that just the last couple of days, because I was listening to another podcast. And there was a, a gentleman sharing, and he had this tremendous testimony of this broken family and away from the church. And he goes in this conference, he just gets smoked. And and uh, my story, compared to that, is just uh, kind of pretty humdrum. And I've reflected on that often. And I'll share my story, and then I'll tell you why I think it's okay that it's kind of humdrum, because no stories are humdrum. But I think my story is very relatable. Uh, I I was not Saint Augustine. I wasn't far far from my faith. I was raised in a in a practicing Catholic family. And, you know, I wouldn't say that we were the most devout family there was, but we never missed mass and we prayed before we ate and we ate fish on Fridays. You know, we did all the sort of traditional Catholic things. And even on my own, I continued to go to mass. So when I was at university, I lived at home, but my parents um, traveled a fair bit at that time. And so um, I was living at my parents' house, but on my own, and I would continue to go to mass even then, so I knew that my faith meant something to me. If you ask me why I went to mass i i pro- I probably couldn't have given you a good reason. I mean, I would say that I believed in god i didn't I didn't mind going to mass, and I just kind of wanted to be a good Catholic, whatever that meant. I, I just wouldn't have given it much thought. but one of the things that I love to do is I loved to travel, and so uh, in the summer of two thousand in the fall, actually, of 1999, I was in second year university, and I was thinking of the summer of 2000, I was thinking, what could I do that's exciting and wonderful? So I, one thing I did was I planned a trip to India for seven weeks with a friend, but I thought, well, that's only half the summer. I have to do something else the rest of the summer. And I happened to be at this church, and I was only at this church because my, another friend that I had, his dad was dying of cancer. And so we went with him to mass on Fridays. Again, not really out of a spiritual sense, just kind of, you know, my friend's dad is dying. So why don't I spend a bit of time with him? And there's a poster there for World Youth Day in Rome. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no idiot. I thought, gosh, a, a trip to India is great, but I have to pay for it. Trip to World Youth Day in Rome, I can get the priest to pay for. <laughs> so that's exactly what I did. I said, you know, I went to the priest. I never met him. I didn't go to that parish, but I said, father, you know, I'm whatever, 20 or something. And, oh, this World Youth Day thing looks so great, would you mind cutting me a check? And he did, and it wasn't quite enough. So then I went to my home parish and asked that priest to cut a check. And all of a sudden I had a free trip to Italy, which I thought was just the best thing I could ever hope for. And it's not that I didn't have, it's not that I wasn't excited about World Youth Day, but honestly, it was, a, it was just the adventure of it. Yeah. And so I went to World Youth Day room, and it was with Catholic Christian Outreach, which many of your listeners have heard of, which is a, just a phenomenal university student movement. I didn't know anything about them. Get a, just a quick backstory. They sent out posters to every diocese in Canada, inviting young people to come to our Youth in Rome. And at the end of the day, out of all those posters that were sent, I was the only person that came because of those posters. Now, they had 50 other people that came because of their campus ministry. But gosh, what a lesson. Like, they flooded the country. And the only person that was impacted by it was me. But, man, am I grateful that they flooded the country with those posters because I saw the one poster that I needed to see. So I go to World Youth in Rome, and as I mentioned, there was about 50 other university students. And uh, I felt like a bit of a poser because, uh, like, they, they had faith. <laughs> like These people loved God, and they were praying, and they were joyful. And what I quickly realized was that they had something that I didn't have.
2: Hmm.
0: Like I had great friends and all my friends pretty much were Catholic and I was getting a good education and, you know, I worked hard and I'd saved money and, you know, I had good job prospects and all those things were fine, but none of them were giving me the joy, like the real joy deep in my heart that I saw in the lives of these other students. And I wanted it and I I couldn't really articulate, I couldn't really figure out what it was, but after World Youth Day in Rome, through some very providential circumstances with
2: one of the leaders of CCO and we are talking about this and I was expressing that I'd seen something in them that I didn't
0: have, that I wanted. And he very simply laid out, you know, kind of this model of, you know, having Jesus on the outside of your life, having Jesus as part of your life or having Jesus at the center. And he said, where are you? And I said, Jesus is a part of my life, but he's certainly not the center. He said, well, where do you want him to be in a school? I want him at the center. And he said, Well, how do you do that? And I said, I have no idea how you do that. <laughs> he said, He just ask." So I actually went to a CC for an afternoon. We were on our way to a CC. This happened on a train. I went to a CC and just for an afternoon, it was, I would say it was the first time I ever really prayed in my life.
2: Hmm.
0: And I just took, I don't know, two hours, three hours, and I just talked to God. I just said, I don't know what this means. I don't know what this is gonna mean for my life and what you're gonna do with me or what you want. But what I know. That said, I want you to be at the very center of my life. And what was echoing in my heart the whole time was the gospel reading from that Sunday. So at World Youth Day, y'all, you do the big pilgrimage on Saturday. You sleep overnight in a big field. Sunday morning, the Pope comes and says mass. And this was three or four days prior to being in the And the gospel reading was from John 6, when um, Jesus says, will you leave me also? And Peter says, and I can still hear John Paul II's voice saying this as he preached about in his homily, um, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting
2: life. And that really, to me, that was just like, like I just saw. I saw reality. Mm -hmm. I saw what was true. And so a few days later when I was in Assisi, I realized I had nowhere else to go but to the Lord. And so from then on,
0: Rather imperfectly, I have sought to live out that intimacy and that friendship with the Lord that He invited me to that day in the CC in August of 2000. Now, to come back to what I started with, you know, I, my testimony is it's kind of a pretty simple testimony. Like, I was a practicing Catholic who decided that there was more to the Christian faith, more to Catholicism. I opened my heart and said, Jesus, I want you in. And that was kind of it. And one of the things that's always struck me when I hear these incredible testimonies, I'm so inspired by them. And yet I also recognize that there are so many Catholics that are never going to have a Saint Augustine's testimony.
2: It's Thank just goodness.
0: like the, the Lord. You're right, right. We don't have to be in the pits of wickedness and evil and and vice. There's just lots of us that are lukewarm. Mm-hmm. And what what I'm reminded of when I kind of look at my own story is that for For us that are lukewarm, the Lord has so much more. For all of us, he has more. But it's, you know, it's what John of the Cross keeps telling us. John of the Cross keeps saying, don't settle for anything. Don't settle for consolations. Don't settle for miracles. Don't settle for bilocating and prophecy and visions. Don't settle for that. Settle for the Lord. The Lord Uh always has more for you. And so what the Lord's taught me in all that, and I'll just finish with this, what the Lord's taught me in all that is that for everyone that I meet, for every Catholic in the church, Lord has more. It may not be dramatic. It may not be written up, you know, in great, you know, hagiographies. It may not, you know, make the history books, but the Lord has more for you now and tomorrow and every day. Uh, well, I'll tell you,
1: I love being preached to.
0: I love, <laughs> I like just I'm just soaking up
1: what you're saying. I just want to jump up and down because it's just so beautiful. And you know, What's funny is, you know, you're saying, I, you know, my story is nothing special, but as you're telling your story, I'm getting goosebumps. It is special. Like uh, that, What I heard as you shared is the heavens opened up, like revelation happened when you saw reality, you saw what was true. The heaven, heaven came to earth in that moment. And all of a sudden that changed everything for you. That, that's just
0: awesome. <sighs>
1: Yeah, that, that is so cool. I, I know myself, it's John chapter 10, verse 10, because I grew up in the church too, but that at one moment, and I've had many moments of deeper conversion, thanks be to God, I think, because I need it. Uh, many boots in the rear end, but at one point just realizing that You know, Jesus saying, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And like you, I had a good friend's, you know, good job prospects, good education. You know, I was going to church every Sunday, but I knew there was more.
2: And it's like, I don't
1: want to leave this life leaving anything on the table. I want to go to heaven saying, I used up every
0: ounce of life you gave me, God, and it was awesome. (laughs) Absolutely. And this is one of the, this is both the challenge and the opportunity in the church today you yeah. know, is that for many Catholics, they just don't realize that there's more, you yeah. know, it's not like, I mean, maybe they intuit it a little bit, but for many, there's just sort of a, a satisfaction with I've kind of given enough. It, you know, it, it's seen, you know, it's kind of analogous to, you can take work. Like there's some people that they will just give everything to their work. And then there's other people that's just like, you know what, like I do my nine to five and I put in my time and I'm, I'm faithful to it. And, uh, you know, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, that's good, and, and, I, and I'm out. And the faith can sort of be taken that same way, that you yeah. don't recognize all that God has and all that He desires to give to us. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's, a, there's an, an unlimited wealth of grace available for each of us. And what he wants to do in us, like this is, as we rediscover, as the church is, is rediscovering still this universal call to holiness. We look at the lives of the saints and we see that there's no saint who at the end of their life says, Lord, I gave you too much. Lord, you know what? You just didn't quite deliver. Lord, I wish, I wish I'd just taken care of myself a bit more. I wish I'd spent a bit more time on, you know, relaxing on frivolous activities. Lord, I just, I think I probably prayed a bit too much. I think I. I think I was a little bit overzealous. No, that's not, that's not what the saint says. The saint, the saint is on their deathbed and says, Lord, I give you so little. Hmm. You know, I, I turned 40 a couple of years ago and, um, you know, I was praying one day and uh, the, this, the sense I had from the Lord, and it was, it was like a good sense. This is like the Lord, when he convicts you in a good way, it's not like making, it's not rubbing your face in anything. It's just like realizing there's so much more to go. And it was a prayer he put in my heart. It was. Lord, don't let me waste the next 40 years the way I've wasted these first 40 years. And it's not that my life has been a waste. Like, I wasn't taken that way. It was that, golly, like there, there's so much more the Lord invite, is inviting me to that I've missed already. So it's like, okay, Lord, let's get serious now. Like, you know, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm no longer, you know, young, young Catholic, you know, recently kind of come, you know, come to the fullness of the faith. It's time to get it's serious business now. And life is short. You know, if you're 80, 40 seems young, but like, it's not that, it's not that young. Like, if you're not going to get serious when you're 40, um, good luck. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is just so awesome. So Mike, tell me a little bit about where and how you came to found the
0: mission of the Redeemer Ministries. Like, how did that come about? Well, you know, it's Genesis was really at the time of my conversion in 2000, because My plan initially was to go and be a a rich banker on Bay Street, and I, you know, was lining up all the ducks for that, which was great and exciting. But I realized, within two weeks of my experience of the Lord that August, that I want to spend my life helping other Catholics have the same kind of encounter with God that I had had. So I began to ask myself, how can we do this most? How can I do this most effectively? I mean, one is I can just kind of become a a roving missionary and maybe start doing preaching and going into parishes and doing retreats and whatnot. But what began to be born in my heart was actually to work more with, um, to work more with people who were evangelized to give them the tools so that they could become missionaries. So mm. the Second Vatican Council very clearly laid out the universal call to holiness. They didn't invent that. They were just reemphasizing it. The churches always believed that. But the Second Vatican Council was also clear that we actually have two universal vocation there's two universal vocations which means by universal vocation i mean if you're baptized you are called to this the one is to be a great saint the second is to mission when i looked around 10, 15 20 years ago most of the resources in the church meaning the books the bible studies the courses the talks all these things were directed towards helping people become great saints Deepening your own faith, knowing the Lord more, loving the Lord more, so you could rec- so that you could be the saint He called you to be. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. There's not I wouldn't get rid of any of them, but there is almost nothing to help the Catholic live a,
2: their second vocation faithfully. And so, what I sort of felt inspired to do was to um,
0: to work in a very kind of intentional and specific way with people that had encountered the Lord, hadn't met him, but they were terrified of evangelizing. Even the word scared them. They weren't sure if it was something Catholics should do. They didn't know where to begin. They didn't know the basic tools for it. They didn't feel supported by it. They didn't have friends who did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no kind of Catholic culture to support it. Because what I asked myself was, I said, I could go out and you know do parish missions and all these things, and they would be fine. But I said, what if instead we raised up an army of missionary disciples? And so my work, is, my work is focused on a very narrow, a very small number of people, you could say. I mean, these numbers aren't accurate, but just to give you the idea, let's say there's yeah. 1% of the Catholic Church that is both evangelized and evangelizing. And then there's a, a, a larger group, let's say 3 or 4%. They're evangelized, but not evangelizing. And then there's a, a larger one, which would be, they might be practicing Catholics, but they're not evangelized, and they're certainly not evangelizing. Then you have a larger one, which is fallen away Catholics. Then you have a larger one, which is all the non-Catholics. And I, Mission of the Redeemer is simply committed to expanding that first circle. If it's 1% of the Catholic population, I want it to be 2%. And you think, well, what impacts that? That's 1% to 2%. But imagine if we had twice as many missionary disciples. Because one of the difficulties that we face in the church is that we don't have a critical mass sometimes. Every parish has amazing Catholics in it. But sometimes they don't know each other. Sometimes they don't really have the same vision. The priest doesn't have the same vision that they have for evangelization. So often they feel alone and they kind of think they're a little bit crazy because it's like, I don't Mm -hmm. see other people doing this and I'm not really hearing people talk about it. I'm not really sure what this looks like, but I feel this fire in my heart to evangelize and my, my kids need to hear the gospel and my next door neighbor needs to hear the gospel. And the person in the pew that only comes because they've kind of always come. And so that's why they're there. They need to hear the gospel. So imagine if we were able to increase significantly the evangelized evangelizers, and we could have that critical mass and we could reach a tipping point within the church where all of a sudden the culture within parishes and within the church begins to change so that was kind of the, the big picture for a mission of the redeemer to to equip and form uh what i would call um intentional disciples to be missionary disciples mm. so how did you do that how do you do that it's a great question so we've done it in all sorts of different ways over the years we've been at it for about, about 12 years now and we just you know we try, try to follow where the lord's leading us i'm mm. um, not sure how successful we are with that but the the primary um instrument that we have used is um it's like a it's like a crash course in evangelization
2: mm. it's
0: like a three-day intensive formation program where we look at what is evangelization how does the church understand it um, What are, what holds people back? How do we deal with our fears? What are basic tools for it? What are opportunities for it? How do we deal with the craziness of the culture? How do we deal with the craziness in the church too? Mm. Um, But what I realized, that's actually where mission of the Redeemer began. And it's always sort of been at the heart of our ministry. But, you know, one of the things you realize Ron, when you do this sort of work is that it's, it's much more work than one person can do. And, and it's, the, the forming and equipping and inspiring of a missionary disciple, it's, it's not an event. It's not a three-day thing. It's a, it's a process. And you, you know that better than, better than most. And so what, we, what we've tried to do is, is expand that into a process. And we've had different kind of initiatives and offerings and things that we've sort of done over the year. And, you know, there, there, there's an ebb and a flow to it. But I, I've sort of seen three major parts. And at different times over the last 12 years, we've kind of focused on those. The first, and it's almost more of a circle than a, than a line. It's not entirely linear. Uh, the first part is the setting of hearts on fire. Mm-hmm. People can know the Lord and love the Lord. And somehow, I don't understand it, but not want to share him. Like, it's not even that they're afraid of evangelization. They just don't want it to. They're like, I'm good. Like, I love the Lord. He loves me. I have a good prayer time. And uh, I, I'm a Catholic. I will be a devout Catholic till the day that I die. But I will never say the name of Jesus in public because I don't want to. So the first thing is we have to set hearts on fire, not just, you know, and Father James Malin says we have to, you know, we have to have a conversion to Christ. We have to have a conversion to his church and to his mission. So that's part of that. That's part of the conversion to his mission. I think that's actually fairly easy because it's just, it's speaking about what the church has always spoke about, which is the salvation of souls, which is the four last things. I know, you know, I sound like a 16th century Jesuit, but we need a little bit more of that. Because these are the things that matter. This is what matters in my life. This is what's going to give me the ultimate fulfillment and joy that God has for me. And it's what's going to motivate me to go and bring the gospel to others. That salvation is at stake. And we don't need to stand before that with fear and trembling. We need to stand before that with excitement and say, not only is salvation at stake, God, God is asking me to be part of another person's salvation. Like, What greater honor is there? And then hearing testimonies of people that had conversions, hearing testimonies of missionaries. So that was something we did for a number of years through our new evangelization summit, which was just tremendously successful. We had the mm-hmm. conference broadcasted out, you know, to globally to host sites around the world. Covid has kind of, Covid sort of brought an end to that, but I think it was the right time for it. It it, it had it, it had its season. It was very good, but I'd already in my heart been sensing that this was not going to be forever. This was this was for a season, and right. people's lives were. Or changed by it. There was that initial spark. Then I think there's kind of what I would call just like the initial formation. This is where, you know, these three-day crash courses, we call it relit, sort of has a role to play. But the one piece that we've always struggled with and we've tried various things, but it's, and it's, it's what, you know, you could really speak into is, is the ongoing journeying with people, the the continual mentoring. And, you know, wherever I went, priests and lay people, they were always asking for that in it wasn't something I was able to do. I just, you know, I can only do so much. But it's to continue that process because you learn to become a missionary how? By evangelizing, right? Like, how, you know, how do you learn to skate? Well, you don't read a textbook about skating. You don't just watch people skating. It may help. I mean, you could have, you know, Wayne Gretzky as your personal coach for skating. But at some point, he's going to say, Michael, get on the ice. And I'm going to step on the ice. And what am I? what's going to happen when I step on the ice the first time, Ron?
1: Probably gonna fall.
0: Right on my face. Rod, <laughs> there's nothing more hilarious than watching adults trying to learn to skate. It is hilarious because it's impossible. You can't learn to skate as an adult unless you're willing to fall down and stand up and fall down and stand up and and then the coach helps you says, Well, you know, try to keep your ankles straight and you know push this way and not that way, and you know, stand up a little bit straighter. You know, I mean, just some very basic things, but you learn to skate by putting on the skates. Yes, getting on the ice. And you know what? You're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna fall down, but every time you fall down, you kind of learn a little bit more. You get a little bit more, a little bit more steady. It's the same thing with evangelization. I, I do think that that I do think that it's important that people have some degree of formation. Mm. Um, I think they just I think it it just it accelerates the rate of learning in evangelizing. Right. But the key thing is going on. I, here's just a very simple analogy. You want to teach people how to pray. You don't give people, you don't tell people to go do a PhD in prayer, in spirituality. You give them a little book, you talk to them for 10 minutes, then you say, go and pray. And then they come back and they say, well, I got distracted. What should I do about that? Well, okay, well, welcome to the club. And then they say, you know, and then you talk to them a little bit later and they say, well, what, what text should I use? And I, when I'm reading the scriptures, what, what could I do with it? Well, here's a few ideas of how you can meditate on and chew on. Here's a few different methods. Then they come back to you a month later and they say, You know, the first month, it was awesome. It was like the Lord was sitting right beside me. It was like I was having coffee with God. It was just like awesome. I was talking, he was talking, like the spirit was flowing. It was great. But it's like the last month, the Lord has gone AWOL. Like what's happened? You're like, oh, really? Well, that's pretty normal. That's spiritual dryness. And this is what it means. And this is why it happens. And this is what we do in it. And this is what the Lord's doing in you right now. And this is why it's good. And, you know, and then keep praying, keep praying. That's how we learn to pray. We learn to pray by praying fundamentally. Having a spiritual director, having, you know, a coach in that sense, reading a few books on, you know, a prayer life and spirituality can be helpful. We learn by doing. And so what I've always recognized the limitation of my ministry is that it's only one, Ron, it's just one small piece in this big puzzle. But it was a piece that I saw that was missing at the time. And that I felt the Lord was calling me to be part of providing.
1: That's beautiful. I I think I can really relate to that too. Like I I know I can only do what I can do. I remember when I was discerning what I'm doing now, uh, my uncle who's one of my mentors, he's a priest. And at one point I said, yeah, but there's so much I don't know. Like, I think I'm just going to go back into ministry because there's so much I don't know to which he said, don't worry about what you don't know. Be faithful to what you do know and God will bless you. And boy, did I ever need to hear that? You know, because there're so like am I the full answer to people's issues and problems? Not even close. nobody knows that more than I do. And yet I'm absolutely convicted on the things that the Holy Spirit has convicted me of. and if I stay in my lane and stay focused on the things that I'm passionate about, God does seem to bless that, and through that, bless others, and I'm so grateful. and so that's what I'm hearing you say is that uh, you know as you stay faithful to the things God's placed on your heart, he continues to bless others. And it does shift from time to time. Like you say, that, that conference was for a season. Yeah,
0: yeah It's. know, yeah. I was just thinking as you're speaking there of St. Paul talking about different members of the body. And, you know, we can look into the church and we can see. The people that spend, people that have their eyes open in the church see that the church is in crisis there's Mm -hmm. good things happening in the church right now, but by any, by any measure, the church is in crisis. And it's like, every time a new set of statistics comes out, it just reinforces what we know. Yeah. So the difficulty is because we love the church. We want to see the church thriving and alive. We, we, we want to, we want to be part of every solution. It's like, the Lord wants us to be, in a sense, he wants us to be small. And I don't mean that he can't use us for great things, but I mean, the church is so much greater than you or than me or than any particular ministry. And, and God's answer is so much bigger than any of us. But if we are constantly looking to the things that he's calling other people to, we miss our little piece. And it's like a, it's like that puzzle, you know, like you do the 500 piece puzzle and that one piece is missing. You, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's like a car. There can be 800 parts to the engine. And if there is one thing missing, it doesn't work. So it's like, Lord, I want to be as faithful as I can to this one piece. Because it may seem small, it may seem big, it doesn't matter. It's the piece that you've given me. And mm. I, and and that is where I'm going to
2: find my deepest intimacy with the Lord. It's being faithful to that vocation. And, you know, for me, that hasn't always been easy. because.
0: I see, you know, I see other ministries that have grown faster than mine, or they're having more impact. And it's like, Lord, Lord, I multiply me, expand me. I want, to, I want to do more. And it's like, yes, yes, the Lord does. Like the more docile I am, the more docile we are, the more he will use us for. Mm. But it, it's, not a, it's not a game. It's not a competition. <laughs> it's like, we are all members of the one body. And if my job is to be the fingernail of the little pinky, well, I'm you know what? Thanks be to God. That's where he's put me. And that's of great service to the church. And it's the church yes. that I love. And so we don't need to discover, sorry, we don't need to invent a position. We don't need to invent a job to do in the church. We just need, we just need to discover where his gentle voice mm-hmm. is leading us and to serve him, to serve him in that way. And that's been a real lesson that he's been teaching me over these, over these years because of the ebbs and flows of, of working in the church and the new challenges that we face in the church.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, as you talk about this whole idea, it's not a competition. I do a lot of work in strength themes and just helping people understand how they're hardwired. And one of the strength themes is competition. And and a good friend of mine who's a priest has competition as his number one strength theme, and it's so funny because he often feels embarrassed about it because he's. It drives him in ways that he feels guilty that it drives him, but it's not a bad thing because if it drives you to have a bigger impact for the kingdom of God, that's where it's the gift. And so if you're listening and you are competitive, then be competitive, check your motives. (laughs) But competitiveness is beautiful because it's going to drive you often. Even a a good friend of mine who's a priest who uh, is a week on ecumenism, And the Baptist church, the Anglican church and the Catholic church in the small community, we're going to do this event together and all three of them, we're going to get a chance to preach. And this Catholic preacher said to himself, I want to show everybody that comes that this is where it's at. Like I can bring it. Right.
0: Well, see the question is, who is it that we're competing against or what, uh, on what are we competing? Right. So in the church when it's, I I wish I was given that vocation rather than this vocation. I wish I could have my ministry could be as big as that ministry. It's not, no, there's nothing wrong with, you know, the ministry is growing and having ever greater impacts. Absolutely. But um, I was just reflecting like in, in my own heart that it's, it's easy as you, you know, to use your words, to get out of your lane because it seems like there's such a need here and there's such a need there. Um, but the Lord has it all taken care of. Like the, Lord, the Lord's got every lane taken care of. He's got all the members of the body lined up. Um, the question just is, What's what's the I, I like It's the piece of the vineyard that he's mm-hmm. entrusted to me, and and you know, and I, I tell people this. When we eventually I said, "Ron, there is a piece of the vineyard that the Lord has entrusted to me that no one else, he's not entrusted to anyone else, and he has no backup plan. And there is a, a beautiful piece of vineyard that he's entrusted to you, a big piece, and you are faithfully working that vineyard. But the Lord doesn't." He's not like waiting, you know, if, if Ron's just unfaithful, then someone else will jump in. It's like, no, no, this, this is for Ron. This is the mission that I've given him. And this is uh, where he can serve me to greatest effect, where it's going to bear enormous fruit outside of him, within the church itself. And then also, of course, within your own soul. And I, I remind, because a lot of Catholics don't think, like the average Catholic in the pew doesn't think there's any vineyard that's been entrusted to them. And it's like, no, actually, there's a piece of the vineyard, the Lord's vineyard, with your name on it. And he's going to do incredible things there if you attend to that piece of the vineyard. He will bear fruit in your family, in your neighborhood, in your
2: workplace, in your parish, fruit that you can imagine. if You'll mm. be faithful to what he's given to you.
1: you know, that's why even, it, even as you say that, Michael, reinforces for me how important it is to have friends who love you and love Jesus and who want the best for you, because sometimes you won't see it in yourself. And I know for myself, again, as I was transitioning, I was heading back into ministry and happy to do it. You know, I always say, if you give me a big enough challenge and some great people, I can entertain myself for a long period <laughs> of time. And, uh, but it was other people saying what they saw in me and what they believed that God wanted me to do. And I didn't see it, to be honest with you, I didn't see it at all. But I trusted the many people I spoke to and the voice was unifying. And I just thought, okay, God, this is scary. It shouldn't have been because if that many people who love Jesus and love me are saying the same thing, maybe God's speaking to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, but I, yeah. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of
0: self-doubt in the church among Catholics. Mm-hmm.
2: And there's a lot of self-doubt about what he's calling us to and, and what we can, because I think part of it is wrong. We haven't seen it. Think of so many
0: Catholics that they just haven't seen Catholics that are fully alive, that are, that are evangelizing, that are, 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 are living radical, holy lives. And so to think of going in that direction, it, it just seems so, not just contrary to the world, it seems contrary to the life of the average Catholic, what's going on. So. But if we have those people around, like you did, which is very beautiful, or if the Lord has put in our life other people that can really be models for us to say, no, actually, actually, this is what's normal. Like, sanctity is meant to be the normal mode for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, That can kind of give us the confidence. Because I, you know, gosh, I struggle with like, I struggle with all sorts of self doubt in the work that I'm doing. Like, is it having an impact? Am I being faithful to the Lord? There's something else that I should be doing. It's hard, you know all of these things. But what it ultimately has to come back to is that, is this what the father has put in my heart? And if it is, I need to be faithful to it. And, you know, from, I mean, I've read the lives of many, many saints and their lives are never, their lives are never a straight line. They're up and down and around about, and they could never guess where they're going and things that they think are going to be so successful end up being failures and Things, they just, they have no idea where God, I just was reading with my daughter, um, the story of Elizabeth Ann Seton, who is the first American-born saint. And her life is just, from where she was as a young lady to where she ended up being when she died, no one other than God could have imagined such a life. It's the same thing with us. So we, we can't lose confidence just because things don't unfold the way that we think they're unfolding or because... A call that we're receiving from God just seems to be too big for us.
2: It's like, no, no, with God, all things are possible. Amen. So what's next for you? Where are you
1: at? How's the ministry doing? How do people connect with you? Tell me more.
0: Well, you know, I'm in a transition time. I'm in one of those, where are we going, Lord? And so I'm continuing, you know, the work that I'm doing with, you know, now, of course, most of it's over Zoom and whatnot, but with giving talks and retreats, workshops. I'm doing ongoing formation for teachers. I'm working with some just amazing missionaries in England. Um, we've developed uh, just some resources for um, bringing Catholics together to, to, and teaching them how to share their faith in the everyday situations of their life. And it's bearing, it's just, the, the fruit is absolutely tremendous. So that's called Genesis Mission. People Google Genesis Mission. It's genesismission.co.uk. I think it is. It's phenomenal. Um, we were, I'm working on a podcast, which is um, looking at church and state, which may seem to have nothing to do with evangelization, but I think it has everything to do with it. Because it's, what it's saying is, how do we live our Catholic faith in the totality of the Catholic faith? Not just on Sunday. How do we live it politically? How do we live it in the world? How do we live it in the workplace? So Jesus doesn't want to... These things aren't meant to be separate. Church and state are actually meant to, for, to create the opportunity for human flourishing. So we're trying to explore so how do we flourish as Catholics. And there's, sometimes we're afraid of the world. We're afraid of politics and all that sort of dirty stuff. And saying, no, 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 we will flourish in the midst of that. So we just did an interview with a, someone that wrote a wonderful book on um, King Louis, uh, St. Louis. We know him, he was he, Louis IX. We know him as St. Louis, King of France and how for, for him for saint louis there would be no distinction between the
2: church and the state they would work everybody was working to create to create a flourishing peaceful society
0: so we don't live in a flourishing peaceful society right now so what we're trying to explore with this podcast is as we live our faith in a completely integrated way how can we flourish individually and collectively and then interesting, you know, the last thing I'm doing, which is where I feel like the Lord might be leading me a bit more Ron, And this is where I want to have some offline conversations with you is I actually want to get more into the one-on-one coaching dimensions. That's why my the studies that I'm doing right now are the reason I'm doing the program I'm doing is that they have some, some training and leadership coaching because I see a lot of people that have a lot of potential and uh, for that potential to be unlocked. And one of the gifts the Lord has given me is that I've sort of walked because I started my own ministry and I'm kind of a solopreneur, I kind of just do my own thing. But that means I've kind of walked in church world and I've kind of walked in the, the worldly side of running a ministry of, you know, charity status and tax receipts and all that sort of stuff. And Ron, I'm, I'm seeing young Catholics that have a dream plant in their heart, but they just don't know how to realize it because they're in one of three boats. The first boat is they spent their life kind of working in the church and they kind of know church world a little bit. They have no idea how to like, like, if you want to do this for a living, you got, to pay, you, got to, you got to get paid somehow. And yes, the Lord provides. Yes, the Lord provides. I get that. But the money doesn't fall down the chimney either. So you got to figure that out. You got to pray about and discern what the Lord wants to do. But you got to also be wise about these things. And then there's other people that they kind of get the business side of things and starting a ministry and they're motivated and, you know, they understand how they can get their word out there and get their message and impact people. But they have no idea how to kind of navigate the complexity of the church. And then there's people that don't know either. They just have a dream in their heart, and I think it would be a tragedy for someone to have a dream planted in their heart by God, and just not have someone in their life who's kind of one step ahead of them in that, to help bring that to life. And so I'm feeling more of a call of that in my life as well. Um, And what it really is is it's it's to be with people that are where I was 12 years ago, to kind of help give birth to new evangelical movements, organ groups, whatever you want to call them, ministries, I it doesn't matter what you call them, to help to help seed those in the life of the church. And if I can do that by drawing on my, you know, the last 12, 15 years of what I've done and what I've studied and, you know, to, to get trained myself a little bit on how to be better at coaching. Um, I think that's an area that the Lord's opening up to me. So, you know, ask me in three years what he's doing and we'll I know I'll find that Let's
1: let's book the date right now for the next podcast (laughs) in three years. I hope to have you back before that. But I'll tell you, Michael, there seems like as you're saying that, I'm thinking, wow, what a great angle. Because I know all kinds of people who are in that space. And I don't know any of them that are receiving coaching. I'm sure many of them would love to be. Uh, that's not the coaching I do. I focus specifically on pastors and bishops and the church and the diocese. That is that's my lane. That's where my passion is. That's where the call is on my heart. But I know so many. Well, in fact, the podcast is full of people like you who are so passionate, who are on fire for Christ, and are following that conviction and and in different places with that and so i'm really excited for what you're going to do and and as you get that up and running i hope to be one of your uh people who refer you a whack of awesome. uh, other people yeah that'd be wonderful thank you ron
0: well if people want to check out a little bit of what i'm doing right now um, i mentioned genesis mission our podcast is called crown and crozier crozier with a z crown and crozier crowncrozier.com and then um the other place if they just want to see a, you know it's just very basic, but missionoftheredeemer.com is our website. I'm not on social media at all. Um, I'm a bit of a luddite. I have my reasons for that. But uh, we do have a website, so people can, uh, can contact me through that. And I just love to hear from people because I, I love to see what God is doing, and he's, what he's doing to raise people up to inspire them, and the piece of the vineyard that he's uh, entrusting to them because we're beginning to see these pieces come together to form that beautiful puzzle, which is ultimately the kingdom of God.
1: Thank you for the faithfulness that that you've stewarded it, that conversion point that where Jesus really spoke into your heart. I thank you for the things that you do. Thank you that you continue to innovate and and discern and strategize and lean into and trust and walk in faith to build the kingdom of God. You are a great man. Appreciate having you today. Thank you very much, Ron. Real joy. <laughs> Don't you just love hearing from people like Michael whose lives are filled with purpose and passion? Thank you so much for your support and encouragement in 2021. Our numbers of subscribers continues to increase globally. In fact, the last two months, it's taken off like crazy. I'm so grateful for that. Engaging the church in conversations that matter is the reason we do this. Drop us a line and let us know how these podcasts have been a blessing to you or how you've been using them to engage others in conversations of leadership and faith, by going to ronhuntley.com may 2022 be the year that your parish commits to doing whatever it takes to having the impact god is calling it to merry christmas and happy new year i want to encourage you as you lead this week be faithful to god and generous to others see you next time and remember if you're still breathing you are powered for impact